Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast. Every week we talk about the technology behind the energy news, except for last week when we had a a small uh, technical hitch and lost our recording. Um, We also review our weekly issue, which is just out. Um, My name's Peter White, and this week Harry Morgan is away on what seems like the umpteenth holiday he's taken, but he's he's not here. Um, we have, uh, so, but we do have solar analyst Andrew Swantonar. Hello. And we have our publisher Simon Thompson. Hello. Hi. On the show today, um, we're going to discover how Volkswagen plans to integrate its new Europe car acquisition, uh, and how Chinese cell and module manufacturers are cutting back production just to stay in step with polysilicon and what that might mean to the market. And we're going to talk a little bit about hydro and ask whether it will make a comeback before 2050. Um, and Simon will uh, ask us about anything that drawn his attention. But, the, but before the call, he asked me about, well, it seems to be, um, what is it? Is it Renewables Awareness Week in the UK? It's, it's National Awareness Week for Net Zero. Okay, National Awareness Week for Net Zero. And we're about to have, uh, we've had uh, 40-odd resignations from the Cabinet and senior ministers. And we're expecting before the end of today for the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, to resign. So we might have a little chat about that first, because, you know, will it make any difference, um, given that the UK is supposed to be one of the leading um, Western lights in decarbonisation? Anyone got anything to throw on that? Well, the last time I paid any attention to the UK's energy policy, they were doing this thing where it's one third offshore wind, one third natural gas, wasn't it? And one third nuclear. And that probably hasn't changed. And because of this, it's it's still not going to change, I think, because there's this turmoil and people aren't really thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, it's worse than that because the Chancellor's resigned. We were going to have a, um, a windfall tax, a windfall tax on oil companies and power companies, um, which was thought up by Rishi Sunak. And Rishi Sunak's resigned. So that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> you know, which means that the um, kind of ransomware attack of, on the price of natural gas by um, Vladimir Putin um, is, is unabated for everybody who's poor in the UK. Um, Every other country in Europe has taken definitive action. Um, The UK has vacillated and and tried to copy two or three of them. And at last last leak to the newspaper suggested that they were gonna tamper with the auction system for energy prices. Um, In the end, um, the poor man in the streets left uh, floundering, wondering, you know, it strikes me that um, it's true of most politicians um, that they put their career above the people they serve. I mean, and in this case, um, certainly Boris Johnson has, but also, I believe, a number of those ministers. So I think we're going to have uh, something's got to be done by winter. Um, you know, the famous Game of Thrones quote, winter is coming. Um, and if it's a bad winter and the natural gas prices continue as they are, um, there's going to be no relief for uh, uh, in fact even if one of the other parties were to get in or one of the other candidates was to lead the Tory party through to the next election um, none of them has much of an idea on on energy efficiency heat pump subsidy um, electric vehicle subsidy you know where we are the lowest in Europe 
Um, the UK is a mess. So as a leader in the so-called energy revolution, we're not losing much. I can remember Boris Johnson had um, the older son of the uh, leader of the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn, his, his, his sorry, brother, um, Piers Corbyn, yeah, Piers Corbyn, who was a climate change denier in his, in his advisory staff. Um, and um, so, so it seems that being in power um, invo- involves lots of people in your cabinet saying to you, no, it really was, uh, climate change really is caused by uh, human action and no we can't make laws to the, you know the opposite and eventually they beat you up to a point where you are a born again um, climate scientist but uh, and Boris Boris Johnson had just got to the point where he believed in net zero and now he's about to leave mm-hmm. watch this space yeah watch this space um okay so for people outside the UK this will be dull um, so, so we we've had a... it's part of a kind of broader tr- trend though i mean because the biden administration wasn't able to pass everything it wanted the germans are forced to keep their nuclear plants and even uh bring their coal plants back online at least in the short term the south koreans said they want to keep nuclear yeah at least those are people that wanted to do all those things right from the off i mean biden's not the biggest sympathizer um, with um, he's got not got the greatest climate ambition in the in the Democrat Party, but at least he's on board with the consensus and he's trying to get stuff done. He's just failing, you know, because he doesn't have enough votes. And it's not his fault; uh, it's the American people's fault that you get what you vote for. Um, the Korean, yeah, when the sums just don't add up to anything other than nuclear in Japan and Korea, and and politicians all want to force nuclear on uh, voters that that seventy five percent don't want nuclear. So that that's I think that's a a difficult problem um yeah of course uh, it doesn't help if somebody goes to war and cuts off supplies of natural gas and oil so um and that's you know the the country that imported the most was japan and and china had only just overtaken it as the biggest importer of natural gas but given how much many people there are in china compared to how many people there are in japan um as a percentage of its strategy japan is is screwed if the price of um, gas goes up oh yes the price of gas has gone up so, I mean, economically, it's like it's like the, it's like devaluing its currency. It's it's a terrible position, and it has to do something about that long term. But politicians don't think long term; they think about how can I get elected next time. It should be illegal for anyone um, to uh, be a politician who doesn't have a um, a science degree. And my last count, less than 4% of European politicians have a science degree. Well, it's it's all lawyers and politics, philosophy and economics. It's economists and lawyers. And uh, it's okay to have some of those, but they totally dominate it. It's like 40%, 60% something just from those two subjects. So when you come out of Eton, you decide whether you're going to become an economist for BP or an economist for the government. Basically, you're going to be an economist, yeah. Um, the lead story this week, we talked about Volkswagen. It's interesting. I mean, when I at first heard that they were buying Europe Car, I thought, it's a car hire company. Uh, why, why do they want to do that? But it turns out that Europe Car, uh, originally French, that they'd owned previously and they sort of lost interest in it and, and um, let an investment company take it over. And now they're seeing it as the central strand in a, a kind of e-mobility strategy. Now, it doesn't say anywhere in their write-up that um, going to be responsible for their charging posts, but it does talk about um, a change in the way cars are owned. Um, subscription car sales will go through Europe Car. Um, rentals as well. 
short-term and long-term rentals, uh, car sharing systems, and all, all autonomous vehicle research is being pushed into Europe Car. It turns out Europe Car is present in about 140 countries. Um, there aren't that many in Europe, so they must have uh, spilled outside of Europe. Um, but it operates some other brands. Um, Gold Car, Interrent, Ubiquo, uh, Bookbinder. Um, they're all offering slightly different takes on car rentals. So, and, and definitely, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to see a non-American group talk about autonomous driving uh, outside of America. And, and they're going to be running autonomous driving experiments in um, Vienna and then in Hamburg um, in the next, you know, in six months and in nine months. So this is a, a company that's hated moving away from diesel but since it's made that decision it's done the most about getting its ducks in a row so that it can actually make a success of it and as 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 resistant as i am to predicting volkswagen going from strength to strength it does look like they are not making all the classic mistakes and they're not slowly uh, sort of grinding to a halt and going what do we do now which um, is perhaps what the american car companies were guilty of for three or four years they, they've taken the decision at the highest level and in fact they've got partners in in this um and all that happened this week was well, they said they completed that um that acquisition. I mean, it was announced in April. Um, they've got partners, uh, an infrastructure investor called a Testor and a Dutch mobility supplier called Pond Holdings. So I think they're going to put all, uh, they'll probably put charging into this as well. And then the other move this week is that Electrify America was actually a kind of penalty clause in the Dieselgate affair where um, the Biden administration said, if you, you know, because of what you've done, you're going to have to uh, put $2 billion into um, electrifying America. Um, into uh, forming a, a charging mechanism, and they put another four hundred and fifty million dollars into that, with, you know, with some help, the help of Siemens. So clearly, they're now seeing that as one of the best investments they were ever forced to do. Anyway, uh, so it's nice to see a European uh, not taking a backseat to the Americans and the Chinese in the EV space. But uh, apart from that, do you, Peter, do you think there will be enough uh, EV charging points? Um, in America so it, over the next, say, 10 years? It's, it's really difficult for people to quite appreciate what's going on here. There's eight different sizes to the charging infrastructure, eight different um, power grades. So, so if you have very, very fast charging on an old car, you don't know what it's going to do to it. So, so basically, you, know, you plug it in and it, it charges it at the speed it's comfortable with. Um, but increasingly all new cars and all new charging points that are public will be able to charge in something like 20 minutes for a full charge 10 minutes for an 80 percent charge that's what where's where we're heading whether that creates untold damage to over a 10-year period to a lithium-ion battery and ncm battery well i mean it will The, the, the simple question is the number of times you charge uh such a battery um, will will cause harm over time. Um, if you're constantly driving, if you're doing very high mileage and you're recharging on the motorways with, with very fast charging, until you get solid state batteries or until you get LFP batteries, which at the moment don't really cover carry enough charge for a range, um, you're, you're going to struggle. You're going to have 
people saying after 10 years, oh, my car's worthless, the second-hand market won't even take it. So, so I think there's, um, there's that to deal with. There's, there's keeping your car healthy uh, uh, throughout the early years of, of EVs. But I think, in, I mean, I think 2024, QuantumScape said their first factory will be built for solid state. Um, and CATL is pushing LFP uh, and starting to export it um, at a much higher density, um, packing density. So, I mean, there's lots going on. And so predicting what's going to happen in the medium term on the number of charging points, the number of charging points will be, you don't need very many, apart from every home needs one. You know, so, so, I mean, it only costs, you know, $1,500 or $2,000 to get one in your home. If you're buying an EV, you, you'll have one installed if you've got a drive. Now, in America, a lot of people, most people have got a drive, um, except to the big conurbations. So, you know, you need public infrastructure to step up. Um, Joe Biden's uh, promise of, I think, $700 billion or, or whatever it is to, uh, um, to push that technology is plenty. There's plenty of other people who want to do it. Um, people, it's like taking over the oil industry. You know, all oil that went into cars is going to be replaced by charge points. Simple fact. Um, you, you have the chance to be ExxonMobil of this sector by installing more than anyone else. Now, alongside all that, there's lots of compromises and there's lots of things. Now, that's the thing about Volkswagen. They're going to have one app. You download the Volkswagen app to your phone and then you can, you can charge, you can... Um, book charging time you can um, book a, t a car for a few hours you can book a ride share from it You're all on the same app um, and that's the kind of vision that you need to conquer the EV uh, revolution and whether that app will also eventually be functional in America because that's mostly for Europe um, and they're saying they'll take it to China as well so you know that's the kind of vision I mean the boardrooms of these companies are going through a lot of contortions just trying to understand what the future will look like um, but certainly there will be enough I mean we've done a forecast if anybody doesn't have access to that forecast because they haven't paid the four and a half thousand dollars to buy into our service we actually list how many um, charge points of different types there will be in each country in the world so um, I'm not going to give those numbers away. And Trace, um, apparently Chinese cell and module manufacturers are cutting back on production. Uh, and it's that uh, old um, uh, beast, polysilicon, uh, that's still rising in cost. Um, tell us what you said in this story. Yeah, unfortunately, I forgot to put a graph in, in this story. But uh, if I had done, what you would see is that in the past week or two, it has uh, the polysilicon prices I, I believe it has exceeded the record it set last year. So it's now at a new record stretching back to 2011 uh, for price. And it's basically because the demand is very high and the supply of polysilicon is not growing as fast as demand is. So the 10 or so polysilicon manufacturers are charging through the nose simply because they can. Uh, and of course, what happens then is that they keep charging and charging and charging higher rates. Uh, it's been rising by about a percent per week, well, a little under that so far this year. And then just now it's it's gone up by 6% in two weeks, something like that. Uh, and, and this was really triggered by a, a couple of things like a fire in a factory, uh, a couple of other minor incidents like, like that that just triggered the market to raise prices even more. And of course, the only limiting factor is when for the people who have to buy polysilicon to manufacture the wafers, the cells, the modules, is when they can't even buy it anymore because it's too pricey and they refuse. Our customers that are often developers and they're, they're having to buy from them. 
and and if they're cutting their production, then their prices are going to go sky high again. What 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 happens to solar in the meantime? And it's this this either goes away because the factories come online or it kills solar. Well, if you look at uh, you know like like I've been saying, if you look at the scale of the polysilicon factories that have been promised, there's more than enough. You'll be go, you'll be back to another ten year period of oversupply. Or just permanent oversupply, uh, and the the question really is when that happens. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I agree with you. No. I, I think you don't agree. They will monitor um, the release of new capacity into the market, and they will um, tune it to keep profits reasonably high. Um, they'll even have discussions uh, up and down the supply chain of what you know how much profit am i allowed to have how much profit are you allowed to have let's stitch this up between us but they they will i don't think anybody's going to forget that polysilicon uh, is the tail that wagged the solar dog um you know over the last two years um and the polysilicon manufacturers won't do that the, the integrated vertical uh, suppliers will not want all the profit to go to the polysilicon division um i think i think it's unlikely to go back once you've been through this process once or twice then you release capacity at the right time at the right speed to keep the price in a in a reasonable place i think so it won't go back to they'll still maintain some healthy profit margin and you're saying it won't go all the way back down to 2020 very low prices yeah i mean you talk about a fluidized bed reactor coming in and you did you know and i'm going to put a plug i'm, I'm currently reading andres's solar forecast that's uh, that's a bit delayed but but very good and very detailed and he's talking about the price that, that you know that, that uh, under which you can still make profit and it, it will those types of changes will change the price and it will go down there's no question it will go down it's just a matter of how far and how long they can hold and manipulate the price uh, so that they continue to make profits for four five six seven years yeah i mean so there's there's kind of three pricing levels you could say you could say that the current price which is about 40 dollars per kilogram is the super high price and we do think that'll go down next year um, you've got the super low price, which is $10 per kilogram that was achieved back in 2020, probably because the pandemic pushed uh, demand down briefly. Um, and you've got a sort of middle price because you're saying it won't go all the way down of maybe 20 uh, per, per kilogram. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I can see what you, you mean, but there are there are a lot of cases in China where an industry will build so much capacity that the price will go down and the communist party will step in and say oh you were taking this off and you're going to reconstitute it to serve a different industry that happens with solar glass actually okay the solar glass manufacturers are forbidden from uh, making enough new capacity so the price goes up the communist party says oh you can make more now and then it collapses and then it goes back up again and the thing about fine-tuning the price like you say and acting as a sort of cartel to rip off the rest of the supply chain is um, there is more verticalization now with the wafer and the cell and the module manufacturers saying, well, we are just going to build our own factories. Uh, that, that only applies if they're large enough to actually afford a, a billion dollars of investment. So, so if you're someone like Longi, you, you make, you make as, uh, plenty of your own supply and then, you, and then you, you make sure that anyone else who wants to buy from you get, has to pay a little bit of a premium. So I, I, I think you're right that 
that it will start to fall, but not, uh, uh, and I think I'm right, it, it won't fall all the way back to that $10 mark. Not until it's much, much cheaper and everyone has FBR technology, um, you know, when it can fall below that and people can still make a profit. But unfortunately, it's a subject we can come back to time and time again. And, and the news this week was simply that some people, have, some companies have stopped making as many modules because they don't want to pay the price because it's, it's insane. There's... There is one last thing I'd like to say, which is I think I wrote the exact same article in May last year because the same thing was happening. Um, it was happening at a slightly lower price. Uh, it may have been any time from May to November last year or possibly both, you know, where, where the price gets so high that production starts seeing. So we're seeing the same tension between you've got the very high demand that exceeds polysilicon. The polysilicon price goes up really high, which then suppresses demand a little bit below where it would otherwise be. Uh, so maybe the forecasts of... Uh, 215 gigawatts installed this year need to be depressed to like 195 gigawatts that kind of thing uh that's all i wanted to add is it, it... i mean i think i think if we fail to get the precise number for this year uh, as long as we've got the, the the trends for future years that's not that's not vitally important and um, last subject we we're going to cover um every year the international hydropower association puts out a report um, most of it is giving facts about hydropower uh, a lot of it is um, lobbying to the rest of the industry uh, calling for more investment into hydro um given the costs the the levelized um cost of energy that you get in hydro which is perfectly low um it seems insane that people don't invest more the the, the great the big thrust of this this week's uh, version of that report is that we're making half as much hydro as we need to hit um 1.5 degrees now there's no nobody then goes through the calculation of how much hydro is needed for 1.5 degrees and um, when, when we started putting this into our model we suddenly realized hey they're assuming that there won't be any lithium ion storage or not very much so there's plenty of ways of getting to 1.5 degrees and you can do it without hydro but it it, it seems sad that um that only about half as much hydro as could be built is being built until you start to think about what hydro has done to the world um it's um it's thought of as a clean uh, form of energy but it has poisoned water supplies it has killed off fishes it has uh, decimated um uh, bird populations it's also um made homeless tens of millions of people um when people build dams and decide that that, that, that they're that they're living in the wrong place and uh, you know i.e by the river down downstream from a a hydro plant so uh, there, there's a lot of resistance and there's a lot of regulation in most parts of the world where is there less regulation in china um, china built as i remember it 22,000 dams in the last 20 years and they're still building them at a pace um they're doing about 50 percent of all of the dams in the world and they're the only country on track to do their fair share um says this report and i believe that but I don't believe it will continue. There are so many logical places where you can build a dam. And yeah, you can have down the same water supply in several places uh, and you can get successive um, uh, um, electricity generation down a, a, a large and long river. But um, there's a, there are only so many places and, and places like America have, have almost stopped um, anything apart from pumped hydro. Um, Europe completely has stopped um places in africa some of some countries are very dependent on it and places like 
Brazil are very dependent on it. But then we talk about intermittency of supply and they never mention this. You know, there's been a 10 year drought in Brazil and we, we modeled um, Brazil's um, hydro and it's gonna go from something like 61% of all its electricity down to about 36.5% by 2050 at the rate at which they're transitioning to other technologies. So, they, they, you know, they're, they're going to keep what they can going, but there's a permanent drought in Brazil um, because people keep burning the forest. Um, they haven't worked out there's a causal relationship, but uh, unfortunately there is. Um, so, you know, I don't expect anything to change. Um, it's nice to see um, these numbers. Um, and uh, it, it was good to examine what's going on in different parts of the world and match them against our models. Um, we're largely right. Um, and, and, you know, we've modelled that that going forward it's going to continue to fall from about 16% of the world's electricity to about 11 and a bit percent uh, over the next 30 years and, and that is doing a good job because obviously uh, electricity will almost um, triple in those 30 years globally so um, and and th th there will be fewer and fewer open opportunities and um, and yes more of this will be um, pumped hydro i.e. self-contained and not, not, no, have no chance to ruin the fishing uh, and, the, um, and poison the water table. But even so, um, the, the regulations are still stacked against it and it takes 10 to 15 years to get permission for a new hydro project. As an investment, uh, as an investment uh, company, if you were told you were going to invest in a technology that will take 50, you've got to sit around and wait for 15 years and do something else with your money you might as well put it into solar while you're waiting so uh, or better still tesla so yeah that's why nobody gets investment in this and uh, it's just worth pointing out would it almost die entirely if you didn't have the chinese um, available as a source of expertise if no one else is building them? the world bank in particular is very active in going to countries that have that are threatening to build coal plants and saying, have you thought of doing it this way? You seem to have a mountain over here that tons of water coming off of it and couldn't we do something? Um, and, you know, here's a billion dollars to help. You know, a lot of that is going on in the background and that's where a lot of these uh, fundings are coming from. But you see very few of them in Latin America where, where there should be tons of opportunity. Um, you don't see enough of them in Africa and most of the planet... There's the, the, there is a graph in the PDF version which shows where all the, all the um, uh, hydro is being built and it's China and Asia, nowhere else. <laughs> and, you know, it's just... Uh, Latin America and, and parts of Africa could probably do three or four times as much as they're doing now with the right funding um if the world bank's listening um you can perhaps knock on ethiopia's door um simon have you noticed anything that you want to pick out in the world of renewables this week there was a, a, a bit about a tiny finnish startup called polar night energy uh which was pushing a hundred tons of sand into yeah, a yeah, metal yeah. box it, under the it's ground it's a battery except it's a thermal battery uh, they want to heat it to between mm. 600 and 1,000 degrees. Right. Um, we've had hot rocks. Uh, so Siemens Gamesa, if anyone from Siemens Gamesa is listening, uh, perhaps you could um, get in touch with us and, and update us on this technology. But the hot rocks technology out of Siemens Gamesa three years ago sank without trace. 
um, when someone told us that if you heat the rocks up often enough they just turn into ash uh, and then that ash doesn't hold the heat um, so here we are back with sand this is not a new idea um, but this tiny finished startup polar night energy is um, is uh, has got a pilot um, and it, it it basically you can either use the heat I mean the difficulty and the part they don't address is how they they get the heat out from the middle or from the sides or from the edge of this big block of hot sand or how you distribute the heat to all parts of it or how you can cool down some parts and not other parts um, all of that is usually a subject of a few patents and it's a hard engineering problem but extracting warmth from hot sand and using it either for um, district heating systems as heat uh, or as um, or turning it or turning a turbine and turning it into electricity they're both non-trivial problems um, and there are many so so we, we've got to confess rethink energy believes there will be um, a, there's a big opportunity in thermal in thermal storage definitely um, do we think sand is most likely to be the answer well we'll reach out to polar energy we'll ask them to explain what they do in a bit more detail but currently, I don't think sand is the right answer. But am I sure what is the right answer? Mostly the stuff that's coming out of second generation CSP, uh, you know, we, we figure. Um, but perhaps not. Although, in some case, actually, with the CSP companies I spoke to, they were actually using sand. And their um, fluid to, well, not fluid, but their medium for transmitting and storing the heat was actually just air in pipes. And they had the sand in a shipping container. I mean, in one suggestion, like like this polar night energy thing with the CSP, it's it's like you say, it doesn't scale up fast at all. And and also, if you know, if you compartmentalize it into little blocks and say, right, I want that all the heat in that block, but I, I, I want to preserve the the neighbouring blocks. How do you do that? And that, there will be different approaches. I mean, it is an engineering problem. Any engineers out there who think they know the answer, call polar night energy, um, or call us. Okay, so. Um, that's a little glimpse of what's in our issue this week. There's many other things in the issue. The issue is free. Um, everything else on our website costs a subscription of $4,600. You click, click um, rethinkresearch.biz, click energy um, to go to weekly analysis, which as I say is free. You click forecast and data to see examples of uh, the forecasts we do and the data we provide to our existing customer base. Um, thank you very much. It's me, Peter White, um, signing out for another week.